Welcome back to the Boy and Island podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Hurst. To commemorate the 44th anniversary of the accident at Three Mile Island and to also honor Women's History Month, I have a very special interview with none other than my mom, Ann Hurst. In this interview, we reflect on our experiences of that tragic day 44 years ago. And my mother shares her insights on the rewards and challenges of caregiving for my sister and I throughout this turbulent period in our lives and providing support and encouragement to my father, James, throughout his highly publicized involvement in the community-based activist group, Pain, People Against Nuclear Energy. So without further ado, it's an honor to present to you my interview with my mom, Ann Hurst. One of the things I think is is uh, interesting is what your guys' situation was in terms of when TMI was in the developmental stage and before it got built and they must have been you know talking about it and you must have heard about it how how involved did you did, were you guys at that point well, can you he, speak to he, that we were not involved in protesting the building of TMI at all it was a big economic boom to to our little town particularly after the air force base closed down and um, so many of our people our age were um, excited to get jobs down there and it was jobs that paid more money than they probably would have made other places and people would even suggested to Jim that he should think about leaving the state and go down there to work but I don't remember a lot about before it was built so much but at some point and I really don't know what triggered his Maybe he was just reading articles about nuclear power and felt a little uneasy about it. This was before the accident. And he started going to, GPU would have regular community outreach meetings where they would tell the public and the surrounding communities about what, you know, what they were doing. And of course they were always, GPU was the company and they were always very good about like getting their stuff at the local hardware store contributing to the fire companies and and all this goodwill and so he just started going just to hear what they had to say and uh he did he did that quite a few times uh i remember him going thinking oh you know that's interesting that you know he would start looking to find articles to read about nuclear power and the more he did, the more uneasy he became. So he was already feeling uneasy about it being so close to our home. Uh, so he was, I felt like he was one step ahead of some other people's feelings when the accident happened. They didn't really, hadn't educated themselves. They didn't really have an opinion or their uncle, brother, or sister worked down there. And that's the only opinion they had about it. So I guess if you didn't really work hard at it, trying to educate yourself and, and most of the most of the information that you were getting would probably be coming from the you know, the plant right. you know, people that really wanted to paint it right. in the best light. So it was I mean, I think that that's one of the one of the things that really happened 
of that's really notable about the TMI thing is that I think when it comes to a small community, you know, they I think they relied on people really not knowing that much about it, and then the and, new- and and, and uh, maybe not in a poor community where people really needed the jobs, right? Because after like I guess you know with this the Bethlehem Steel sort of thing dwindling and then just like you said the the uh, before the, that it was the Air Force the base. Air Force base yeah and then it's like what else are people going to do here right you know right there would have had to have been to some degree like a before and an after TMI kind of thing oh yeah because before I mean talk to me about like your feelings about like raising a family in, in Middletown I mean this is this is like where you're from so did you was it always something where you were just like oh I've I feel like, talk to me about like the before well, and the after. Oh, well, before we never thought we would move anywhere else. We just always thought this was where we would raise our kids and live here. Our family was here. We were from here. And, and I don't remember how many years into the battle of trying to keep the place from opening again. We decided that we were, we felt like it wasn't the right thing to do to stay here, that, that if we really believed that we were in danger, why would we still live here? So we, I remember we sort of looked at the map and went to Shippensburg. We decided that would be maybe a, an area we could manage to live in. It's kind of a similar size town and went there. I don't remember if we really looked at houses, but we looked at the town. We drove, I remember driving over there thinking maybe that would be a good location instead of being right here on top of TMI and we just at some point we decided we didn't really want to do that we didn't want to leave his mother or my parents and our friends and and, um, he would just continue we would just continue to stay on the path of fighting to keep things um, you know just continue what what we were already doing talk to me about the him get dad getting involved in the pain people are against nuclear energy well there were some people already meeting some people in town there was a doctor in town no you can yeah uh dr barnowski was one and uh, uh john i can't think of his last name there were a few Sorry. people he knew that were just having small gatherings you know, like maybe at a meeting room somewhere to talk about their feelings about what was going on and try to see if other people were feeling that way. And I don't know how Jim got wind of it, but he decided to go. And then our really good friend Don Hostler did go too. And um, that's actually when they started their friendship through their interest in in, um, opposing the plant's opening. So... They would go, then they started to go, that small group started to go to council meetings, town council meetings, to voice their uh, opposition to what was going on and how GPU, they felt GPU wasn't telling us the truth and continued to lie to the community. And um, I'm not clear on how it became like, I don't remember how it became a, 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 someone must have said you guys need a name if you're going to organize and do this you need a name and it and somebody came up with that name uh, 
people against nuclear energy. And there was some regret about that name down the line because <clears throat> you really shouldn't have a group to do what they were doing with a negative. It should be, a, you know, not a negative. Right. So they kind of regretted that. But it was, they actually had to, they were forming uh, a nonprofit, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they needed a name. And they needed that to raise money to print newsletters and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's how that happened. But was that was that before? Did that actually start up before the accident? Oh, no. So it was. It was after. Um. To my knowledge, there in Middletown, there was no opposition to the plant. There was other um, organizations in the surrounding area that have always, you know, had been, TMI Alert had always been uh, an organization that was opposed to the plant opening and running, actually. They opposed the whole, everything about it. (coughs) What must it have been like, you know, being from a small town like Middletown and like fiercely opposing the plant. I mean, when the accident happened, to me, in retrospect, there's like a million and one reasons, good reasons to to oppose it. But at, at that time, I imagine that when you have friends and other people that are working there, which you did, um, like, what was that like? It was, it was not good. It was not at all. We felt shunned to some degree. We felt threatened because we had gotten some phone calls that I know I took one personally where it was a man's voice and he, you know, was very threatening. I don't remember the words exactly, but I felt very, I was really shook up by it. It was really threatened. And, and um, as a result, we, cha- we changed our phone number because we got more than one. Um, you know, it just, I felt like sometimes people that were friendly to us weren't like mean to us, but they just were cool. You know, kind of shunned, shunned us a bit. Not in a huge way, but it, you, could, you could sense there was a change. You know, because Jim's interviews would be in the paper, sometimes on the local news. So he was very visible. And our families, we were, you know, it's a small town, everyone knew who we were. So, yeah, we, we really had a feeling that, I don't know if the kids, if you guys ever felt that, um, probably not, probably too young, but we felt it. What did your um, families think about about it? Like, what did your mom and dad think about dad being so heavily involved in it oh everybody you know our closest family was always really proud of what he was doing yeah they they were behind what they felt felt they felt he was doing the right thing we didn't have any opposition that way his mother probably a little bit because she went she went to church meetings and she was in a um, quilting group there so she may have felt 
that um, she was she was a super quiet and reserved woman, and she may have felt that she wished that he wouldn't have been so public. I don't know. I'm not sure. She wasn't very verbal, but I I'm sure that there were women in her group that questioned Jim's you know activities. Right. But she wouldn't have told him to stop. So, did you actually lose any friendships over it? No, not our true friends, no. It was just, you know, when you're from a small town and you know, you just know people and you're just friendly to them. And maybe you would stop and chat a little bit at the store or something and or pass them by. And, and just, it was that kind of stuff that we felt like maybe there were times when that wasn't happening anymore more like that and none of our really close friends we didn't lose any close friends so talk about what it was like for dad well and you um kind of and how the protest other protest movements of the 60s and the 70s um tmi the the uh, the, op the opposing TMI, you know, inevitably became lumped in with like a whole other of whole uh, a whole larger number of like you know uh, protest right. groups and protest organizations. Yeah, so maybe they became and, very interested in what we were doing, and they would come right. to the uh, some of our meetings, and and they would get in touch with that the group that Jim Jim was involved with, um, and. We didn't really feel, we had, we felt like we weren't typical protesters. It wasn't like that was, you know, anything we would have ever thought to do. And so when we met these people, we could, we could listen to what they had to say, but we didn't feel uh, an alliance with them. You know, we didn't feel like we were like them, but we didn't. We didn't oppose what they were doing. We just didn't feel like them. What do you think they felt like? <laughs> I think they, they probably were amazed that this tiny little group of conservative men and women accomplished what they accomplished. I thought they were probably partially wanting to meet up with the groups with pain to figure out how they were as effective as they were. So I, I've never heard you describe the, the, the group and inevitably dad as conservative. Oh. Well, I mean, you yes. know, I've always, I've always, you know, when I was a, I always felt, com, you know, compared to sort of how I lived, how I, and continue to some degree, live my life that dad did have, like, do, does have more conservative like values than me but at the same time I mean, one of the things I think one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this project is because you know when you know when you get older and you have you get some wisdom you start to realize that like well dad can't be all that conservative really deep down and you and you same with you if you guys would you know in doing something like this you know I don't think you can really be I mean, I, th I, th I think you can still be have conservative 
values. I don't think you guys are conservative, <laughs> personally. But my point is, like, when I think about, like, the, the context of doing something like that in this, in a small community like this, like, knowing that you're going to get, knowing that you're going to not only get, you know, uh, ruffle the feathers of people that you grew up with that, like, whose lives depend on, like, working at the plant, and here you are saying that you want to shut it down, and then also being a magnet for other quote-unquote radical, more, like, radicalized, like, you know, people, we said this the other day, professional, quote-unquote, professional protesters who seem to go from cause to cause, and it was almost like a scene, you know what I mean? Whereas, I guess, in that sense, you guys were, like, really far removed from that scene, because, you know, I've always really thought that, 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 and been really proud of the fact that when you guys really took up against this it was an absolute necessity you did it completely out of necessity you know in in nothing else and i well, you know, i don't think necessity necessity is the right word i think it was a, a deep sense of responsibility to what we believed was wrong but still but there therefore it was necessary well you could say that so i mean you know, it was one of the things I think about too, and it used to really enrage me. And this was before I knew. This is before I knew that I was gonna like definitely do this project. Although it was something that I thought about, and that was when I moved to New York City in '99. I started noticing that it was like that artists and creative types started writing. You know, uh, I am blah blah blah. I'm an artist, musician, and an activist. And I would, and I would be like, what, 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 what kind of activist stuff do they actually do? And it would be like they marched in one thing, or they did one thing, or whatever. And then I thought in the back of my mind, you know, my parents were actually activists. They really, really were activists, you know. But at the same time, you guys were the last people that would ever like write that on anything. Right. And it's not because you're not proud of it, but it's because I feel like that's how real activism happens. It happens out of an well, absolute necessity. I, think, yeah, I, I really think that that I don't know how. If if people have really become activists, the real people are doing it because they feel deeply and strongly about it, and then it draws in fringy people too. But so in every cause, there's probably a mixture of people that are deeply committed to it, right? And and others that are somewhat committed to it. Yeah, I mean those people are. And as far as going back to the conserv conservative thing, this area that we live in is considered a Republican conservative community. I I guess you you would there's. I, so the, if if we would describe ourselves as conservatives, that would be why. I I don't really think our inner beliefs line up with today's conservative thoughts right. you know, at all. We're we're definitely liberals, and maybe we were liberal-minded then, but it wasn't such a popular thing to say that that it is now. So, um, yeah. That's that's the when I think of conservative now, it's completely different than what I think of in terms of 
um, the community being a conservative community. That makes sense? Yeah. Talked uh, about um, being the being the sole support system or person not only for dad during this but for me and me and Lee like wow. I, I mean that that's really really adding so much more onto an already heavy plate with two young you know I was six Lee was like what 10 so right. it's like that you already have a lot you know at those ages that's like a handful so you already have like a lot going on and then you add this to the mix like how what what was it like for you to actually deal with that well, it was, you know, I felt like he did what he did well. And I thought that the way that I could support him the best was to give him the freedom to do that without saying, you know, why aren't you home for dinner or whatever, you know. I don't think he missed a lot of kid-type things, probably didn't at all, if I remember correctly, because he was very committed to that. But um, I didn't really resent the time that he put into it in any way. I might have resented the dining room table being piled high with things from <laughs> research things and but I, I you know I know I, I really think it was just we knew early on is like that was what I did and that's what he did and that's how it was, you know. So yeah. That that part wasn't that part wasn't uh, uh, an issue with us. There were there was never a time where you were where there was a conflict with it. Well, sometimes the the conflict might have been because uh, we were really hounded by the media. They really wanted to they wanted to come to our house and interview us, and um, they were really bad about planning they would say they would be there at a certain time or you know and we would try to figure out our family stuff to align with what they told us they were going to do they were going to come at this time or that time and and uh, they wouldn't and then they would just come at a really bad time and we would just do it anyhow because we felt it was important so there was that that was that was a bit difficult at times but you know it was just part of it is what what was we met some interesting people <laughs> from that too like who oh the guy that wrote for the village voice uh did did a whole article on the movement and he was he came for dinner actually and and we we had, actually had other media people there for meals too and they were kind of uh, interesting because their lifestyle was so different than ours. So in that way, you know, you guys were exposed to, you know, different type people than you would have ever met otherwise. So, yeah. That's kind of one of my earliest memories about it. Yeah. Is like feeling like I didn't really have, I didn't really have any access to people that were living alternative lifestyles. You know, it, hardly at all, if if maybe at all, at all. Right. And I felt like that was, that's my, like, that's my strongest memory, actually, of it, uh, is that kind of stuff. Right. 
is like people that were probably honestly a lot like me like maybe an artist who was asked to do like a cartoon or a poster yeah or something and and going to pick it up with dad and probably in downtown Harrisburg or somewhere you know what I mean and going to a place that smelled like printing ink and you know there's people I don't know walking around smoking with like aprons on and paint smeared on them and so you know what I mean and I was already doing art but I, I but to see people doing it at that, I don't know, I guess that could have been maybe, you know, at a professional level or to go in like a workshop like that. I mean, I had never experienced anything like that with, you know, because you guys weren't like artists or whatever. So, you know, and then also like every time I see Jaws, the Richard Dreyfus figure really reminds me of some of the people because you know how he came into town and was like the ecologist from like a fancy institution and the small town of like uh, Amity or wherever yeah. it's supposed to be was like, ooh, Mr. Fancy uh-huh. Pants Ecologist. And, you know, and he admitted to being like from like a, I mean, even in the movie, he admitted to being like from like a, you know, sort of a, a you know, like a, like a, a rich family where he could go around and just study sharks or whatever. Yeah. And um, some of the people that came to the house really reminded me of him. And they even looked like him, right? Yeah, you know, with like the true. with like the puffer that's jacket true. on and the little it, it the was, little it hat. Was interesting. Uh, on the complete opposite flip side of that, um, and I'm I'm struggling with his name, the NRC commissioner, because they were doing a study on what happened at the island, and and uh, the commission was the NRC. He, I want to say his name's Peter. Do you remember his? He actually came to our house. Peter Bradford. Peter Bradford, his his office contacted Jim, and he said he wanted to meet with a small amount, a, a small group of residents that were interested in um, opposing the plant and and what our thoughts were, the people that lived here during the accident, and they came to our house and we lived. We at the time we were living in a relatively small. Cape Cod and we filled up our living room with people and Jim went to the airport to pick him up and I mean he was a very large looming kind of guy and we didn't really have very comfortable places for anybody to sit including him and um, I think I might have served some kind of snacky food but he went around the room and, and talked to people and I was really nervous about that you know I just I was really nervous about that what were you most nervous about? Just that the house was small and accommodating everybody? Or? Well, that, that a little bit of that, but I just wanted, I wanted to be, I wanted everybody to be a good representative of what we really wanted him to take away from the meeting. Right, I see. And so I, I remember one of the people said she was being funny, and she said, he must have said to her, how did it affect you? And she said, uh, well... She was a very thin woman, and she said, "Well, I used to weigh three hundred pounds." <laughs> so look at me now, making trying to be funny, like I'm uh, I'm a nervous wreck because of this. But yeah, that was that was a pretty big deal for an NRC commissioner to come to your home. Right. Yeah, that was that was pretty much a big deal. I can really picture that and wanting. I can picture being a member of like pain or whatever or whoever else was there and really wanting to have your a game on and being right. like it's almost like a gig well you don't really have control over what 
everyone's going to say, they weren't all pain members. Right, right. They were just people that we knew wanted to voice their opinion. And so, and you, you know, you only have a limited amount of time. He, had, he was going to leave. He wasn't going to be there long. So we were nervous. Jim and I were nervous about how that was going to be handled, how people were going to answer. Right. And that was that was a big deal. So why don't we back up a little bit to like what you remember from the day? Oh, okay. It was a beautiful day. Uh, it was just a perfect day. It I was, do remember that. It was really sunny. It was beautiful. The temperature was good. And at the time, we had a very large garden. Uh, Lee was at school. And you were home with me. And I decided I would go down and we could clean up the garden a bit. You and I, and you liked that because you could dig around, and it was. And I distinctly remember this. It was a really large garden. I don't remember the dimensions. That we were standing there, and the wind would. It was shifting, and I. I, I don't know why. I it seemed odd that I remember that, but I do. And um, of course, that that came up later about the the radiation being blown one way and then another way and but I remember that and then um we were nervous at the evening news they were talking about it <clears throat> we were really nervous about it because of what Jim had already investigated see I'm, I'm like it makes me tremble I'm I can remember that day it made me very nervous and um he went to work the next day, and of course Lee went to school. And uh, you want me to go on from there? Yeah. And then it, it became apparent that that um, I guess it was must have been a Friday because we had packed we had packed to go to our friends that had um, a little farm at north of the city, and we were going to spend the weekend there. So we had clothes and food packed to go um, fortunately and he said I think we should leave town called from work and we made plans to you know gather everybody to go and his mother and my parents and the dog and um, but that was before the sorry that was before they actually suggested to Evacuate. Yes. So oh, it was, yes. So it was kind of like, so I'm just picturing, so the day that it happened, that that, so, that, so that evening, it's all over the news, right? And well, you got, it was like... What was it, it was, like sleeping? What was it like going to bed that night? Like, did, did you... It was did, really unsettling. Like, how did you handle that with, like, me and Lee? Now, that I have to say that that, I don't, rem I have no memory of, like, the being, like, did you shield us from the TV reports, or how did you handle, like, me and Lee with that? I don't, I don't remember that, that either. I don't. I'm, I don't think we sh would have purposely shielded you, but we were. We were just nervous about it, and um, you know, we had to think about. You know, people, uh, our uh, parents, and animals. I think my mom had a dog at the time, and where we were going to go, and what we were going to do, and getting leave from school, and since we were leaving. 
before the real fury of everybody leaving, we were leaving before that, just a little bit, not a long time before that, I was able to go to the school and get her out of school. But I was told that it wasn't long after that that other people were told they couldn't take their kids out of school. Yeah, so like when you went to get Lee out of school... I just said we were going away. And you, I didn't, you didn't say No, I didn't that. say. I said, we have plans and we're going away. And, we, and I need to take her early. And Lee said afterwards, she said she noticed right after we were leaving there were people starting to come into the school building but we were already coming out but you could tell there was sort of a panic brewing and she said it felt like Godzilla was coming to my school that's how she felt hmm. so I think there was some stuff in school they told them to shut the doors and windows and stuff there was that so, so the kids were already upset so we made a plan and met up with Jim and he, he left from Harrisburg and we left from Middletown and went to my mom's sister's house, I think. It's the first place we went. And that was about 70 miles from here. I, Just I to sort that. of figure out what we were going to do from there. Yeah. Describe the scene there. Like when we're up there, I have some memories of that. I remember there were a that, lot of people there. There was a, a lot small of small house. There was a lot of people there, and I remember the. I remember someone. Well, I guess the people. So whose actually house was it? it Aunt was, Gracie's it, house. It was Aunt Gracie's. So I remember Aunt Gracie, or somebody making a giant giant pot, pot of, of sup, something, and it wasn't good soup. at all. Yeah. Oh no, I don't remember that. She no, was I a remember. good cook. Well, yeah, you probably I'm didn't like it. But yeah, it was... I mean, I'm surprised. I think if I ate it now, it'd probably be one of the best things yeah. ever happened at that time. I was kind of like, what? And I kind of, I had this like, always had this image that like, they were throwing like, I don't know, like I a, think it was bean soup. Just it was delicious. Such random stuff in there, and and I was just kind of like, oh my god, and it felt it was like almost like a, like an army tent. It was huge. You know? It was a huge pot. Yeah, and so we, we stayed there, and then we left. It was so crowded there. We ended up going to Jim's brother's house. Well, so I'm thinking, so it's basically like we we left town because we had planned to already, and then did so, and then continued to stay out of town when they actually did tell people with small children and to evacuate. Right. That wasn't the only time we left. We left. We left twice. Yeah. After that, we left once because they were releasing gases. They kept talking about it to, you know, but there was pressure building up, and they were going to release some uh, gases into the air, and we were paying close attention to that, and um, knew that we wanted to leave when that happened. We did leave when that happened, and we went camping up around State College with a dog. Jim couldn't leave. He had to stay because we had already planned a leave of absence for him. And it, you know, just coincidentally was close to the time that we were going to leave on a uh, town to go to Canada for a leave, leave of absence because of the plant, mostly. And... Um, so he had to stay because he had to wrap up his work. So he left us at this campground. 
which was a little odd. That, yeah. of course, never happened before. We had the dog. And, and you having to deal with Lee and I. Yeah. 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 At a campground where you, you know, how were, how were you going to do laundry and how did, I just, you what did you do with I, food? I was not familiar with, I didn't know how to light the lanterns and, uh, <laughs> yeah. What did we, what did we do for food? Did we have, did you, well, have, I didn't have a car, um, because I just didn't, well, he had to take it. We probably went up with the truck and he probably drove the truck back. He, he, he left us there without a vehicle. Right. So, how, so what happened was there was a Penn state professor named, um, Walsh, Ed Walsh, who had interviewed us, and he was one of the best people that we met through all of our activisms, and he, we became friends with him and his wife. So he came over to the campsite and took us to his house for dinner and took me to the grocery store to get food for the week. Well, probably midweek he did that. So that was how we managed that. And were we cooking over the fire? A little bit, yeah, we did that. There was a pool there, so we just went to the pool most days. And yeah, it was. So it was what was going What was, at this point, how, how were you, guy, how were you and dad handling what information you were telling us about what was going on? I think we pretty much told you what was going on because it was it was not a secret. If the news happened to be on and maybe GPU was saying something that we really believed wasn't true because of what research we were trying to do to really get to the bottom of things, I mean we didn't hide that from you guys. We you know, I think you both knew that we were uh, opposing what they were saying not believing them I don't and, we, and that we felt like it wasn't safe there were times that we felt that it really wasn't safe to have us there and that, and that we felt it was wrong but you know that kind of how we just did it so that you did you weren't you didn't uh, you didn't feel like you had to airbrush it or anything no I don't remember ever doing that no we, we certainly didn't try to scare you but we didn't I don't feel like we ever lied to you or misled you in any way I mean people were coming to our house you had to no, no. <laughs> I, hear I everything that was going no, on no I didn't think that I didn't think that you you did you know um I know I felt scared just because I've yeah, I, I sort of remember um, sensing that 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 something that was was going on with Dad, you know, like just meaning like I mean he I he was never like a different guy to to me. I just I I remember feeling like I could you know it was there was so much stuff that and I felt like Dad was really in the middle of something, and I one thing I. One thing I definitely remember is I felt like he was, um, he was carrying a lot of burden. He was. I felt like he was very like burdened. He was. By, which makes I mean complete sense to me. But when you're like that age, and you're not fully processing exactly what's going on, and you don't have your mature brain yet, I I was just I I it. But 
I could like read the seriousness of the situation through him, but he never was like not because he was like mean or short with me or anything. As a matter of fact, one of the things about the one of the reasons I wanted to do this project is I want to really reiterate the fact that I you guys just couldn't have done a better job you know in a sense that going through that without like a roadmap and I, I I felt like my childhood didn't skip a beat I felt like I was I always felt safe and protected and that that has everything to do with the way you guys like handled it you know so like you guys were going through something that nobody knew how to handle and you guys like handled it and you didn't uh, you didn't skip a beat with like the parenting thing either and I'm just I think it's well, I'm happy to hear you say that. I, I, I'm really happy to hear you say that. I, I think we really worked hard at that. We really did. But I, I do think we, honest, to be honest, felt like there were lots of times that Jim particularly was distracted and out at meetings, maybe gone from meetings. He took a couple trips because of it, you know, like to do fundraising stuff and... Um, so I think he felt like his time was, you know, not always his own to choose, you know. Yeah, well, that's, I'm glad you felt that way. It, was, it wasn't really easy. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever forge uh, a friendship uh, with other um, women that were in a similar situation? Yes. I mean, uh, did it, yeah, did it? Talk about that. Yes. Um, there was a small group of women that were very act- active. They were part of pain, but they had their own little organization. That's um, Paula Kinney, Joyce Karate, and, oh shoot, there's one other person. Mm-hmm. I can't think of her name. That comes to mind, and I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. She was not as active as the other two women I mentioned, but they were, they were so good at what they did, and just so warm and just wonderful people. Um, where we were always um, glad that we met them and got to be friends with them. Um, yeah, really, really good people that were did not oppose nuclear power before, but they felt the same as us, and they did it differently. They would make, they would have, like, invite people to their house that were pro-nuclear to talk to them, you know, like maybe G- GPU people or NRC people that they felt like they had something important to tell them, and they would make, have coffee and cookies and stuff like that, but they were, did, they were so good about how they presented themselves, or they would speak at it at a public forum that maybe GPU was having. They were just so good at what they did. They just couldn't have been better. They were really not, really good good people. Well, another thing that I wanted to say about the good parenting that you guys pulled off during all this, another thing that I thought was really great is that you guys never not only did you never like you didn't over you didn't overly encourage Lee or I to take take your side oh. and which I thought was 
interesting and very even-handed because you left a lot of room for us to hmm. sort of make our own decisions up and about things. And then also, um, I think when somebody, when, when people go through experiences like this, like when tragedy strikes somebody and like a completely against your will, like just some, somebody encroaches in your, in on your territory and, and something like this happens, you, you know, there's a tendency to, that you could, especially with the way things turned out with, uh, you know, really wanting to fight to close the plant down and the, the plant continued to, to operate, you know, after, after it was all said and done. And I never, ever got a feeling from you or dad that you were pessimistic or, or uh, negative or hung your head about it or, or had any sort of spite against big business or anything like that. And there was never there. I never got that feeling from, from you guys that you were like, that, that you passed on any sort of negative ness from the experience. On, on to, negative in what way? Well, I'm just saying that you can go through, sometimes when you go through a tragic thing that's just unfair, you feel jilted. There's a, there's a, there's, there's a human mm-hmm. trait to feel jilted and to feel like this happened to you and oh, woe is me. And, oh. and then it colors your worldview in like a really negative or can it can color your like worldview in a, in a really like negative way and to be honest with you sometimes that makes complete sense it would make complete sense to feel that way but one thing that i've always really been impressed about is that you guys just don't you guys are just not like that well i do, th- I, I, I do I, think I always, it made us question authority a little we already were the kind of people that questioned authority a little but i think it it did make us more skeptical of what we weren't just going to take things at face value and that probably stayed with us to this day and maybe we were a little bit like that before and then we became more like that Uh, and I think as far as passing that on to you guys I think it felt like right to have you be raised in an atmosphere where when you see something that you feel in your heart is wrong that you can't sit back and just go, woe is me, that you have to, you know, do something about it. You know, little or big, whatever, just, you just don't become a victim to it. And I, that's what we hoped that you guys would take from it, from what we were doing. So I hope that that happened. Yeah, well, I mean, I I wouldn't be doing this project if I didn't feel that way. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. But I always I I think that's one of the things that I appreciate the most is that not only did I inherit that, but that's I that's just such a good that has served me well. It's such yeah, a, it's such I think a good, it's and I think as far as the you know this community, uh, the uh, the large part of I shouldn't really generalize like that, but I do think there was some of that going on here where people were just okay with believing what they were told and not really questioning it. Like maybe a liberal community would have, you know, not 
reacted the way this community did to whatever was going on down there. Yeah, yeah so I think the, the TMI thing might have been different if it happened in a different right. place. I mean, I mean, when I say might have been different, maybe, you know, the reaction might have been different and it might have been, I think it, it really was like this, the media really went wild with the fact that it was this little podunk town. Right. I shouldn't say that word. I mean, I think that there's a lot of wonderful things about s small towns, but, you know, it was almost like it, it was so much a part of the story. And it, it, was, it, really and it remains to be so much a part of the story. The town well, and it was so evident when you went to the first when we went to the first public meetings after the accident that they the the the, the powers that be at the island whoever were they sent to these meetings to try to calm the the people uh, they you could tell they were just in disbelief that there was this pouring out of people that were so upset about the accident and it was like they weren't they didn't really know how to react to that they were not prepared for that so that told me that they felt very comfortable coming here and just doing what they wanted to do and say what they wanted to say and felt like they could just get away with it well, one of the big takeaways for me is that, like, I, I felt like you guys acted really honorably about how you handled yourself during the tough situation, being on the receiving end of that. And I felt like the plant officials a, a, acted absolutely dishonorably, yes, for sure. And in that sense, it almost kind of transcends. It's not even really about a nuclear power in a way. It's about just the kind of absolute for, for whatever reason buying into uh, a an incapability of, of embracing the truth you know they just were like they they allowed so many different reasons to justify telling lies to to the general public and I just feel like um, a lot of them were probably placed in unfortunate situations where they had to do that because yes. there was their job. To some degree, I sympathize with somebody who is put in that position, yeah. and and because they're human, you know, yes. everybody. But I but I do think in the end, um, I I feel fortunate that I was that I'm a byproduct of the decisions that you the, of of the manner that you guys handled yourself in. Yeah. I always like, thought it was really great when Jim would speak. He would say, um, if it was appropriate to say this, he would say, we're not just doing this for us. We're doing it for the workers there. We believe that we, we care about their safety too. And, and he was very purposeful because he really believed that, and, uh, including that in, in his statements and things like that. And I think at one point, one of our high school friends the work there said that she just simply thanked him one time for that I thought that was touching yeah 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 for sure so is there any anything else that you want to say in terms of um, being the better half of dad and, and throughout this as you as, as we reflect on that that day I mean we're gonna enter I'm gonna interview you 
many more times on this, but this is a, this is a, in celebration of Women's History oh. Month. Uh, <laughs> so I, and I wanted to shine a light a little bit. Is there anything that you want to say specifically to that? Mm. I, I've just always been really proud of the way he handled himself throughout the whole thing. I thought he educated himself first and foremost. He never said anything that, that he couldn't back up. He wasn't and never showed anger even though it was provoked sometimes and uh, you know people were trying to provoke anger he never he never did it that way he, he, he was just a really good spokesperson is there anything else that you want to say on behalf of the, the women that were the better halves of <laughs> women <laughs> the more people that were on because you were you, here's what I I guess here's what I'm really getting at is you were on the front line too but your story is often not is is overlooked or not uh, I wasn't really on the front line I was sort of the supporting cast and I think a lot of the women some of the women were and there were some like people like like Joyce and Paula that I mentioned I sure wish I could think of the other person's name they were not supporting people they were this the headline and they they were just like Jim. Only they were women, and they just did it so well. Um, and they were raising their families, and their husbands were the supporters of them. So um, I always appreciated how they were able to get up and speak and do what they did. I I never really did. Maybe one time I got up at a meeting and spoke, um, but mostly I was in the background. So yeah. Women played a big role in various different ways. Yeah. All right, I guess the last thing I want to ask is, what do you think about my project? What do you think about the Boy and Island project? I think it's really interesting how you really educated yourself in the background of how this all, uh, Adams for, from Adams to Peace, Adams for Peace to making electricity with nuclear energy, uh, how you really made sure that you understood that whole movement from the beginning to now and um, that approach I, I really enjoyed listening to all of that I, I've, I knew some of it before but I don't think a lot of people did so I like that and you incorporated your music which is interesting I think um, yeah I, I just think it's, it's really great that you've taken such an interest in something that you were so young at the time to uh, educate yourself more on really what was going on then. Well, it's a tribute to uh, the creative spirit, but it's a tribute to you guys. Too. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, I think that's good for now. Okay. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Thanks again to my mom for sharing her time and her thoughts. I'll be back soon to pick back up on our exploration of the post-World War II development of the nuclear industry, the Cold War, beat literature, and the concept of mutually assured destruction, and much, much more. 
Thanks again for joining me. For more information about the Boyan Island Project, please go to boyanisland.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you soon. Take care.